Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you because our hearts are receptive. We are not ever learning and never able to come to the point of truth. And as your word comes at us, we receive it with our hearts. We receive it with gladness and meekness and obedience in the mighty name of Jesus. Ready to be doers and not hearers only. Not feeding fat and refusing um, to, to practice what we learned. And we thank you because you are going to make love the testimony of our church forever. Glory to your name. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen, amen, and amen. So I'm going to cut to the chase and get right into it. You see, in elementary science, we were taught what is called balanced diet. And what is balanced diet? It's, it's a diet consisting of several types of food, which provide the adequate amount of nutrients that are necessary for good health. All right? And we, we were taught that. And... When you're growing and you're learning about food, you understand that there is more to eating than taste, all right? And that if you only eat what tastes nice, you may not be healthy, all right? Because um, as a child, you may be in love with ice cream, but you have to learn that you can't have ice cream all the time. Otherwise, you're going to have problems. You're going to, your teeth is going to give you issues and some, so many other complications. Um, so you eat primarily to benefit your body, not just to excite your taste buds. And if you don't follow this, there is something called deficiency diseases. Meaning when some major nutrients are lacking in your body, it's going to show. So lack of vitamin C, we were taught, causes um, scurvy. Um, protein, lack of protein causes stunted growth along with a lot of other complications. And I said all of that to say this, spiritually also, there is something I call balanced diet. Um, even though the gospel of Jesus Christ is one message, it has a broad scope such that, um, for instance, if you're training as an engineer, it is one field, but that field will require proficiency in many subjects, different applications that are relevant concerning the same theme. And that's how it applies to the gospel of Christ, all right? So um, the gospel of Christ influences our behavior at the office, our work ethic. You know, a lot of people don't know this, you know, but Paul made it an apostolic decree. He said anyone that should not walk should not eat. He said that their testimony of their work ethic, all right, um, gives the gospel a brand so that you are not chargeable to anyone. It would matter because of the integrity of the message of the gospel. So don't be so prayerful and so useless at the office just so that Christ will not be blamed or that Christ will not be given a bad name in your office. It should matter to you. A lot of people don't know this. You see, and this is the aspect of balance. So, so that you're not just prayerful, um, you have a love walk. You're not just flowing in the gifts of the Spirit, uh, you, you, you're, you're raising godly children. You're doing your best to keep your house in order. And all these things matter. 
But many people in the body of Christ are guilty of selective emphasis. And it's not really their fault. You see, if you don't have the training, you will only always just tilt towards interest. And you see, in discipleship, discipleship is deeper than interest. As a pastor, you have to have a more intelligent discipleship scope than um, teaching only what excites you at a particular time. You're not just teaching so that people will know you can teach. You're raising people. And so there has to be a discernment, all right, a discerning of where they are at in Christ so that you know what to add, all right? Because the, I'm telling you, there is such a concept as balanced diet. And I'm going to prove it to you. Um, I've used this text many times to, to emphasize this, and it's so important. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, he says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, so this is like um, an exam marking scheme. And these are the areas of proficiency, expected areas of proficiency. He says, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this giving grace. All right, so God wants us to be balanced in the, in the devotions of Christianity, all right, um, in our favor in Christianity, in different aspects of that favor, in our generosity, in our faith, in our love for the saints, all right, such that it doesn't matter that you have A1 in mathematics and A1 in physics. If you fail English, you, you know, some people say, I don't really like English. Guess what? You need it. Because if there, there are some subjects that are required for you to get across to the next level. In, um, in Nigeria, for instance, if you're going to enter the university, you have to have at least a credit in English. And there are different scopes of biblical Christianity also. And he gives you some examples of them. He says, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in love, he says, in generosity also. So you find that some churches like Macedonia are very strong on gener generosity. Some churches like Corinth are very big on utterance, utterance gifts. In fact, Paul had to balance it. He started the book by telling them, you excel in utterance and in knowledge. And the Lord brings balance to our lives. So every man of God must have what I call a doctrinal diagnosis, where you look at the people that you are sent to, all right, and like Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, you add to their faith. You, you add what is lacking in their faith. You discern what is lacking in, your, in their faith and you inject it into their devotional lifestyle. This is so important. This is what Jesus did with the churches in the book of Revelation. You know, he said, I know your works, you know. And then he, many times he would even, in most cases, he even said what they were doing right. And then talked about what, how, what they were doing wrong. And this is how discipleship and growth works. Years ago, I was interested in the drums. Years ago. <laughs> and there was something I used to do. When I get the opportunity to rehearse, this was when I was still learning, I would practice. I just like to sound nice on the drums. And I will practice, I will practice, and I will practice what I already knew. 
because it made me look good to other people. And one day, someone who was a better drummer came around and said, all of this is nice, but if you're going to improve, focus on what you need to improve at, especially at rehearsal. You're not here for a show off. So you should emphasize your weakness so that you can grow. And many people in the body of Christ are not doing this. You're not really giving yourself an x-ray to discover what should I improve? I've been in church for so long, but am I really growing? The Bible says to add to your faith. So you can add to your faith. You can sponsor your favor in the Lord. This is so important. And so you see in the body of Christ, some are praying machines, very low in knowledge. Some are very high in knowledge, very low in power. Some are very high in power, very low in love. You know, so why? Why? When, when, when is this going to end? And um, I'm saying respectfully, not out of, not to rebuke, not just for rebuke's sake. Yeah, um, God has given me the privilege. I've, I've been in this for a while. So by the, by the privilege of my call, I can make statements like this. I want to say respectfully to the circle that is most akin to my flow in ministry, the Christocentric circle in particular. Just like Jesus did to the churches, you know, in the book of Revelations. When you um, have a doctrinal diagnosis of that sect, you, you, you discover that they're very high in knowledge, even high in charismatic gifts, but it looks like they are struggling in their love work. They're struggling in their love work, and it's almost mechanically, from a logical standpoint, when you excel in knowledge, it will take a lot of training and understanding, all right, for, for you not to be puffed up, because the Bible says knowledge pops off. It pops, you're, you're, I mean, you're gonna have a bigger head without even knowing. So it takes understanding for you to carry the consciousness that the goal is to win souls and not to be right. It, it takes a lot of maturity. And it will even help you in answering questions. Just today, um, someone asked me a question in my DM. The person said, I want to know, Pastor, from the Bible, will someone who commits suicide Make heaven. Now, someone who is a novice, who is a learner, you have a propensity to just want to, shall I, you know, immediately. They just, you know, the moment they just ask you, you the person has not even landed. You, you just want to shoot. And I, but you see, maturity has taught me to descend the person first. So I said, why are you asking? Why is this your business all of a sudden? And she said, I've been having suicidal thoughts suicidal thoughts, you know? And this is, this is the kind of, so now the answer she needed was not yes or no. <laughs> what she really needed was counseling on why the real source, the real root of the issue. But sometimes we don't descend the Lord's body. We just want to reply. 
and you can be right and kill people. And this is something that we have to learn. Something that we have to learn that sometimes a truth is tearing your heart. But can I tell you something? Um, in the delivery of the truth, we must discern people right. We must walk them through the process so that we don't just break people's head with the burdens of truth. All right. And this is not to say that the truth should not be shared. Of course, it's the truth of God's word. But there is a process to these things. And love is a very important part of the process. No wonder Paul talked about teaching the truth in love. There is a way that truth must be presented. And that way is the way of love. This is something that we have to understand. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I beg your pardon, chapter 13, verse 1. It says, for if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, 1 Corinthians 13, 1. I speak in tongues of men and angels, but do not have love. I am a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. This is so important. So, music must be rhythmatic. As beautiful as the instruments are, if someone is not playing in symphony, he's just hitting chords, bam, 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 you're going to say you're disturbing. If someone just takes the, the sticks of the drum and just hits without, in, in an unrhythmatic way, you're not going to enjoy it. But when you play in rhythm, then people get the beauty of it. And so, God is telling us that there is a rhythm to our power. There is a context. There is a motive to our power. There's a motive to everything that we do. That motive is love. The love of Christ must be reflected in it all. Like I said earlier, the goal is not to be right. The goal is to win souls. So he says, even if you speak with tongues of men and angels, if you don't have love as important as tongues are, as the gift of tongues is, he says you are a clanging symbols, meaning this is how God descends you. A clanging cymbal. As special as the tongue gift is, even though your understanding is unfruitful, you are dispensing mysteries to God. Mysteries that God understands. Mysteries that even your mind, all right, the needs of your spirit that your mind cannot comprehend. Tongues can bring it out and communicate it to God and you receive answers. Answers to questions you never even knew you had. That's how powerful the tongues gifts are. Yet. He says, even if you speak with tongues of men and angels and have not love, he says, you're a clanging cymbal. You are making noise. This is so crucial. He says, and if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith to move mountains, this is the proper next message. After we have talked about I move mountains in January, right? So this is very, very important and instructive as the next thing to talk about. It says, even if you have moved mountains like you did in January and you don't have love, it says you are nothing, nothing. So you can be so knowledgeable and so useless to God. I didn't say that. The Bible said it. It says you are nothing. You can know so much. You can be so powerful and be nothing to God. You can do so much without reward in the kingdom. This is so crucial. This is the one thing that makes everything else worth it. This is the one thing that makes everything else count. Love. 
the how in the kingdom is as important as the what. Motive is everything in the kingdom. Look at Revelation chapter 2. And you're going to see something very important. You might not have seen it in this way. But when I see Revelation chapter 2 and the message there, it looks very much like the Christocentric church. You know grace, but you're not gracious. Revelation chapter 2. From verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him that holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks amongst the seven golden lampstands. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. So he's not talking to scrubs. He's not talking to irresponsible people. He's talking to people who are very passionate about the gospel and its message and evangelism and everything. I know your hard work on social media. I know your hard work in study. You have the lexicon and the concordance and the commentaries. You know it all. He says, I know you cannot tolerate wicked people. You are an apologist. You're into apologetics. You, are, you, 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 you never refrain from calling people out. When they're wrong, you speak the truth always. And that's great. He says, you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. Have you seen people who like to find people false? Catch people in their falsehood. Maybe they are teaching the wrong things. They like to expose it. They, you know, doing the wrong type of ministry. They like to expose it. They are always the ones on social media saying, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. The church of Ephesus looks like the Christocentric church in Nigeria. You tested people who claim to be apostles and are not and found them false. And you feel that vindication. Oh, great work. Well done. He said, you've persevered and endured hardship for my name's sake. And I've not grown weary. It says, yet I hold this against you. I'm reading from the NIV in case you're wondering. Yes, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. So you can be so passionate in catching people in their falsehood and in their pseudo-ministerial activities and not be walking in love. Your personal relationship with the Lord is suffering, is gasp, gasping for breath. Yet, you're still doing a good job with all the lexicon. You know all the Greek words, all the nuances. You know everything. But you have no love work. You are even out of touch with the Spirit of God, and you don't even know it, but you are active in ministry. You, you, you're persevering for His namesake. You are going through a lot for His name. You are defending Him on social media, and your personal work with God is struggling. Your love for the saints is struggling. He said, I have this one thing against you. Having commended all the things that you're doing right, He said, I have this one thing against you. 
And he says, consider how far you have fallen. I like the fact that this translation says consider because that's another problem we have. You see, many times um, we are so set in our ways. We don't even see the problem. And he tells us to consider. He says, consider that you're fallen. See it for what it is. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Go back to the basics. That's what this sermon is trying to do for you. How is it that you can endure hardship for the name of Christ and yet you have forgotten your first love? It is called mechanical orthodoxy. You are going to church because you are now used to it. It has become a culture. But the flow, the relationship is not there. It has become mechanical. You do everything right. You, you're, still in, you're still a worker, all right? But you have no prayer life, no worship life. No, you know, I mean, you know what Jesus was praying for Peter about? He says, the enemy has sifted you as wheat. You have substance, but the good and the essence of that substance is lost. Jesus told one of the churches, he says, you have the impression that you are alive. People see you as though you are alive. You look alive, but you are dead. Your works can be dead. That's what I'm telling you. Let me tell you something. Manifest Bible course is going to hold this year. One of the things I'm going to, yeah, you should be excited about that. And one of the things I'm going to teach on is reprobacy. It's a message that is very scarcely taught. And it's a message that is so important, so sensitive. Reprobacy. And what does this have to do with what we are talking about? I'll tell you. When you hear a message like this, and what I'm saying from the word of God applies to you. But for some reason, maybe because um, some of us, we don't like the way rebuke makes us feel. And so we have a reflective, uh, we have a reflex to just make our defenses to rise against um, the rebuke. To vindicate ourselves. Let me tell you, every time you hear the truth of God's word, the truth of God's word never leaves you the same. Have you heard the parable of the sower? If the seed does not germinate, the Bible says the devil comes for the seed. The seed is never left idle. Never. Never. So, when the word of God comes your way and you need it, either of two things will happen. It is either it will bear fruit in your heart or your heart becomes hardened. Maybe you don't know what hardness of heart is. Every time you hear something you need to improve and you don't improve, your heart changes. So, when Moses goes to Pharaoh at first and says, God says, let my people go that they will serve me. 
And Pharaoh says, who is God that I should listen to him? Who is your God? And Moses drops his rod and it turns to a serpent. And Pharaoh does not immediately repent. Instead, he calls his own magicians to also drop their rod. That's hardness of heart. When God's methods to reach out to you are resisted, your heart gets harder. harder. When the rod of Moses swallows all the other rods and you still don't change, maybe in your mind you're thinking, uh, these magicians, they've not been doing their own charms well. Otherwise, that would not have happened. You still don't, you have not considered that this might be the Lord. For instance, you've been hearing this love thing, love. Maybe when you heard we're talking believers love work, you're just like, we've heard it before. But the thing is, you still haven't changed. You still haven't changed. You're still the same. You talk to people anyhow. You raise your voice at people. You know, every time our church does something generously, and I see the way people respond, many times you can tell that they are not used to it. Many people will say, why is it that the church seemingly has such a reputation that makes it, I mean, you, there's a stigmatization that comes with being a pastor. Why? That when you want to rent a venue because of the reputation and the precedent set by other ministry, ministers, it is so difficult for some landlords to trust you. Do you know what that means? So, if you are growing in doctrine, but you borrowed, you, someone borrowed you money, or someone lent you money, and you won't return it, the Bible calls you a wicked person. That's wicked. And even if you have the tongues of men and of angels, you are not walking in love. It says you are nothing. These little things matter. So, you have to have an x-ray, a proper x-ray on yourself. What are the areas I need to work on? This is so important. In 2 Timothy 3.7, Paul says, Ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, he says, Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. So that's what reprobacy is. Ever learning, never able to come to the point of truth. So um, many people have developed a subconscious system that empowers them to listen to a sermon like this and not do. There is a reason the Bible says you should be doers of the word and not hearers alone deceiving yourself. He tells you that because it is possible to hear repeatedly and not do. And I'm telling you, it makes your heart. And so, something as elementary as this still needs to be emphasized. Like Paul said to the church at, um, the, in, uh, not Paul, like the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. It says, of whom we have many things to say and had to be ordered, seeing you are dull of hearing, 
For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again. The first principles of the oracles of God. So something as elementary as love needs to be taught again. And so it's an old message, but still new. And, you know, I'm attacking that reflex for you to think, oh, love work, we've heard about it before. Well, if you have heard it, you would do it. No wonder John took this approach in teaching on it in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. He took this approach in teaching love work. He says, brethren, I write to you no new commandments. It's not a new command. I know you've heard it before, but that's part of the problem. You've heard it and you're not doing it. So what are we going to do about it? So, hey, we're going to bring it up again. I write unto you no new commandment, but an old commandment which you had from the beginning. The commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you. I'm going to explain what he's saying. So in some context and in some way, it is old and in some other way, it is new. I'm going to explain. But first and foremost, I want to dwell on the fact that this is old. You've heard this before. In fact, you had the riff, you probably said, oh, we're doing love work. And then, you know, there's something you do psychologically when you see the theme of the service. Your mind just scans through the possible things the pastor will say. So when you are listening, you're saying, yeah, okay, I've heard that one before. It's like he said this one in this sermon. Ah, I read the book that said this thing. Maybe that's the book the pastor read. <laughs> and you have zoned out from actually receiving and learning. And no, no wonder John breaks the eyes to say, yeah, it's an old commandment. It's an old commandment. And that's even more reason why you must hear it. And that commandment is love. Even in the Old Testament, this message was preached. Leviticus 19 verse 18, for instance. You can read Leviticus 19.18, Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. Leviticus 19.18 says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. Look at that. It says, But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Now that's an old commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Old commandment. Don't bear grudges. Old commandment. And so you see the wordplay of John say, I give you no new commandments. It's an old command. However, I give you a new commandment. So what are you talking about? Is it old or is it new? It is old and new. It is old because um, it has been said right from the beginning of the Bible. It's the theme that flowed throughout the entire Bible. But it is new because there is a new context and motive and empowerment for it. You see, the people to whom Leviticus 19.18 was written, they were dead in trespasses and sins. But not you. In Christ, we have an example and we have an experience. So in Christ, we see a new standard for love. He has become the new standard, the yardstick for love. The Bible says, whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. Now that's new command. Old in its message, new in its standard, new in its requirements. Now, while we were yet sinners, that's an example. 
He has taken love and the example thereof to a whole new level. And that's why in a sense, it's a new commandment. That's our standard. So he has the audacity to tell you, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. Who though he was God in very essence, he did not consider equality with God something to be held onto, but he humbled himself, took on the form of a servant, was humble unto the death of the cross, and God also has highly exalted him, giving him a name above every name. Now that's our example. Let this mind be in you. That's a new commandment. When Moses was teaching on love, he didn't have this example to give. Now we do. And it changes everything. Now what is our excuse? Oh, these people, they don't deserve my love. You didn't deserve Christ's love. Oh, these people, they never listen. You were hard-hearted. You were dead in your sins. He, this example has taken away all your excuses. And that's why, though it's an old commandment, yet it is new. And it is also new because he has empowered you. The Bible says, Amandarabaka Shetis. It says, The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's a new command. The fruit, the evidence of the influence of the Spirit in your life is love. Love is an empowerment, not just a commandment, an empowerment. And that's why we have to carry out our diagnosis properly. When you see a believer acting consistently out of character, I mean, there is something wrong. Love is your nature. It's a new commandment. Because the new commandment is an empowerment. This is how the instruction differs from the experience. It says, I, I, a new law I give to you, not, according to the, not after the law that I gave to your fathers, which commandments they did break. This is the new law, not new regulations. But it says, I will put my spirit in your inward parts. Write my law in your heart. It says, you will keep my commandments and do them. So now the commandment to love is an empowerment from within. And if you're not loving, be afraid. It's the vital signs are not looking good. The vital signs are not looking good. So that's why Jesus in John chapter 13, verse 34, John chapter 13, verse 34 say, can, could say, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. He said, love each other. Just as I loved you. He says, so you should love each other. This is so powerful. It's a new commandment. I want to give you, as I round off, three reasons why you must love. Three reasons why you must love. Number one, it's because of the compassion of God. <laughs> the compassion of God. Let me put it this way. When you study the history of prayer in the Bible, you know, some place in the book of Genesis, in the 
early chapters, the Bible tells us historically that people began to call upon the name of the Lord. You just wonder, have you ever wondered theologically, how did people begin to pray as we pray now? How did they learn to pray? Who was the first person to pray? How did he pray? How were the prayers answered? What did they pray? The Bible says people began to call upon the name of the Lord. How did they know to call upon the name of the Lord? How were they taught? First and foremost, Adam must have told his children stories about his encounters with God. All right. And shared experiences. No wonder. All right. Abel and Cain could think of offering sacrifices and all of that. So there was some history and a development of knowledge from generation to generation. But it came to a point where the Bible says people began to call upon the name of the Lord. But before people knew to say, God, help me. How did people discover that God could help? I will tell you. There are types of prayers, all right, that cannot be properly articulated, but are honored by the Lord. I'll give you a simple example. God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And you know what he told him? Let me just read it to you. Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. He says, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry by the reason of their taskmasters. Listen, their cry was a prayer. You don't understand this. These people actually did not know God. God had to introduce himself to them. God had to give Moses signs, all right, to convince them that he was the one who spoke to Moses. Yet, God answered their prayer. He says, I've heard the cry. Cry is a prayer. There is something about God in his majesty and might that gravitates towards weakness. He is called the husband of widows, the fathers of orphans. There are some people, especially in their weakness, all right, God is watching how you treat them. And they may not even know to pray. They may not even know the right words. But if they call to God, see, let me tell you this. Men of God, listen to me. It doesn't matter your depths in theology, how many Bible schools you've gone to. If you go home and you keep maltreating your wife every time, saying words to her that hurt her, beating her. Can I tell you something? You might have heard this, and I don't want to sound African. If she removes her clothes and prays for you and cries, you may be in trouble. With all your Christocentric theology, I'm telling you what I know. Someone just last year came to me and said, I want to report myself. Something happened. I said, what happened? She's not a member of our church. Well, at that time. She said, my husband kept maltreating me. He would treat me anyhow. And because I'm not doing well financially at this time, Whenever we have a quarrel, he will go out and we won't drop money for the house just to punish me. And one day I had had enough. She, she said she, she didn't know what came over her. She removed her clothes and started crying and said, God, see what this man is doing to me. See what this man is doing to me. You have to respond. He said the next day he was fired. The next day he lost his job. And you just, you just see... I'm not encouraging that. I, I, I corrected the lady and all of that. And she's growing in the Lord. Thank God for that. You see, but people just have to be careful. You can be so sound theologically 
and not be learning this. The Bible says, God resists the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. You have to understand, the pride he's talking about is not towards him alone. Aye. When the privileges and the opportunities that he gave you so that you can help others, you use it instead to, to subjugate them and oppress them, you are setting up yourself against God. What you have done is you have entered the boxing ring with God. And you already know the outcome. This is so many people don't know this. He said, I've heard the cry of the children of Israel. I, I heard their cry. That cry was a You know what? Look at what Jehoshaphat said in 2 Corinthians 20. Did I say 2 Corinthians? 2 Chronicles 20. When those um, three armies came together to fight against them and Jehoshaphat began to pray. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20 from verse 7, it says, Are thou not God who didst drive out the inhabitants of the land before thy people Israel and gave it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy namesake, saying, If when evil come upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we shall stand before this house and in thy presence, for your name is in this house, and we shall cry. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> there is a prayer called crying. You don't understand. See, go and study. Study your Bible well. Have you read about that concubine that Sarah kicked out of the house, Hagar, as she was going with her baby? The Bible says that God heard the cry of the baby. You've not read that. God heard the cry of the baby and an angel appeared. There is something about God that gravitates towards weakness. And you better be, not be at the other end of the spectrum. So before we even talk about who you are in Christ, I'm telling you the nature and the character of God, the compassion of God. Husband of widows. Father of orphans. Watch how you treat people. Forget the Christocentric reasons, the deep reasons. For your own good, watch how you treat people. Psalm chapter 68 verse 5. Psalm chapter 68 verse 5. It says, A father of the fatherless and a judge of widows is God in his holy habitation. Judge of widows. If you maltreat them, they might not have a husband to come and fight you. They have a judge. Judge of widows. If they cry because of you. <laughs> this is so important. The second reason you must walk in love. Now we're coming back home. is Christian identification. Christian identification. And this is so powerful. I remember the first time I saw this in my Bible. I mean, I, I was so scared. I'd never heard anyone teach on it. But it's just right there. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, from verse 7, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, 
And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And then you come to verse 17. It says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. He said, He is love. As he is, so are we in this love, in this world. So you have to have a Christian identification. If God gravitates towards the weak, you must gravitate towards the weak. You must have a kind of mentality, all right, that seeks justice, that seeks to protect the vulnerable. You must be a kind of person who has compassion for children, compassion for the vulnerable in the society, compassion for the disabled, whilst to pray for their healing, have a welfare package too. I saw one silly video on Instagram today. One guy, just for fun, he'll be passing and he'll remove the wig of a woman and start running. People should be careful. And then he's enjoying it. The woman is helpless, you know, trying to fight him. He's enjoying it and he posted it. People should be careful. See, when you see things like that, you respond. We must call out foolishness when it's necessary. So if God is love, I am love. That's Christian identification. I am love. The Bible says the love of Christ is shed abroad our hearts. All right. So there is a spill. There is an influence from within us. We have become love. We've taken on the, his identity. We are the beloved and we love. It's so important. As he is, so are we in this world. It must become our identity, our identity card. So they look at God, his love. They look at us and by our actions, they know we are of him. This is why Jesus said, by this, people will know that you are my disciples. By this. Thank God for the miracles, but this is the primary way that he wants us to be identified. He says, by this, they will know that you are my disciples. This is so important. As he is, so are we in this world. Number three. Discernment. I want to talk about discernment. Discernment. I've already talked about that in passing. That text I read earlier, John chapter 13, 34 to 35. It says, now I'm giving you a new commandment, John 13, 34 to 35. Now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. For you, for, it says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is how we discern people who belong to our fold. It says, anyone who claims to be in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light and hates his brother is in darkness. 
So we have every right. You may be confessing you are the righteousness of God in Christ. Your bio might say in Christ for Christ we join. But if you are not walking in love, it says you are in the dark. You are in the dark. You are in the dark. This is how we discern. That's, that's, that's the biblical yardstick for discernment. It's so important. It's so powerful. It says, by this, men will know that you are my disciples. By this. Our love is our system of discernment. I don't want you to just listen to this and let it stir up your knowledge. Some of you, you, part of your problem is you know too much. I want this to be introspective. I want you to think, what decisions have I made that this sermon will affect? What have I said that I must withdraw? What have I done that must be corrected? You know, so I must retrace my steps. What must I do now as a doer of this word? What is, what demeanor am I putting up that I must change? The Bible says, anyone who does not take care of his household is worse than an infidel. Let me tell you something. Don't let social media push you to sin against God. There's a way, we cannot do what our friends are doing. Your friends are unbelievers and you know, they have no generosity. So all their money, they spend it on themselves. And just wear all types of chains and all, and those things are good. But never be ashamed of the fact that you have priorities. That you, you know you can do better, better things for yourself. But instead, you choose to carve out some of your income to help the poor, to send someone to school. God is seeing all of that. He's proud of you. He's happy. He's happy. Don't make pressure. Make you become self. People are going through a lot. I was talking to a man today. And, you know, we're talking and he, he was just like, uh, everything is fine. I said, how are you? The Lord just kept pushing me to probe further. Tell me, how are you? How are you? And he just, after much interrogation, he just said, you know what, sir? I've been trying to pay for my son's school fees. How much is the school fees? It's about 60000 So I said, it will be sorted tomorrow. And this guy burst in tears. I'm telling, see, for four minutes, he was not saying anything. I was just hearing tears. I'm telling you something that happened about 4 p.m. today. People are going through a lot. And I'm not saying you should give everything you have. But just, if it's one person, two people every month, just try. Don't just have a budget for spending. Have a budget for generosity. There's just some people. And the re only reason I'm giving you examples is so that you can put things in context. You know, the, the man said, 
for days I have not slept. He said, I've just been saying I must send my son to school. Have, you, you know what it is? The desperation of a man who wants his family to do better. And then you help someone like that and you think God will not bless you. Even though you don't believe in sowing and reaping, God, will st- God believes for your behalf. <laughs> he believes for you. <laughs> Please be there for people. Just try. Just try. Random acts of kindness. You know, yesterday I just called my Baba. I said, I want to buy something for you. Think about it and let me know what you want. You know, so random acts of kindness. You know, every day you step out and you confess. As I go out, I expect favor, favor, favor. One day, that's okay. But how about one day you decide today, I will favor someone. I will favor someone. Because other people are praying for favor. And God is going to use people to answer that prayer. How about you decide to be an answer? Make the world a better place. Make the church a better place. I want us to have a system, you know, we already have that in, um, that image as a church, and I love it. You know, someone, when I visited Abuja, someone came to me to just randomly talk about the generosity as exp- um, expressed in church. He said, someone one day just asked him, where do you stay? He said, I will pick you to church every Sunday. You know, and this particular day, the fellow that used to pick him had meetings in church, so he couldn't go home on time. So he just came to him, squeezed a few thousands, put in his hand, he said, for your cab. And he was just like, ah. you know, like, this is strange. This is, I've, I've not seen this before. And I'm like, yeah. That's, that's the kind of church that Jesus is coming for. So I, I, I want you to, I want you to have this refuse to be unforgiving. Follow peace with all men as much as it is possible, the Bible says. This does not mean you must associate with fools. Do you understand? Because the person who said, talked about love work, Jesus gave the new commandment, all right? As soon as he identified Judas as a betrayer, they let him go, right? <laughs> all right? There's, there's still a wisdom. Don't keep a thief in your company. The company will run down. So love and judgment must work in proper balance. But don't carry people in your mind. Don't become vengeful. Thinking of always having to pay people by the coin. You can hold people accountable. Many people don't understand this balance. That is not to say someone stole your car, you caught him, and you can't hand him over to the police. (laughs) Do you understand? In fact, if you don't hand him over to the police, you are not working in love. Because he will learn his lesson, he will do it to someone else. So there is that balance. But don't hold people in your heart. Don't be vengeful. Don't be bitter. Act on this word today. Correct something in your life. Because if you don't, you are developing a harder heart. I want you to pray right now. And you're going to make declarations. Declarations and say, Father, in the name of Jesus. I want you to be honest. You know, there's a way you just enter your Christocentric flow and say, I walk in love. I, you know, those confessions, 
Yeah, but first and foremost, it maybe it's even hard for you. There's someone who did something, you've carried it in your heart. Say, Lord, help me. Help me to recognize my identity and walk in line with it. Help me in the mighty name of Jesus because I'm getting better in the demonstration of who I am. I'm getting better in the mighty name of Jesus and I'm walking in love. I'm walking in love. I walk in love. In the name of Jesus, grace has been released even more than ever before to walk in love. And so I walk in love. And I thank you that I walk in love. I thank you. Oh, all the bitterness is out of the way. All the bitterness, all, all, all the strife is out of the way. Your parents might have hurt you, but I, you walk in love. It's a decision. It's a decision. Lord, I make that decision today in line with your word to walk in love. And I thank you that grace has been released. I thank you that grace has been released. I thank you that grace has been released. Thank you. Thank you. Listen to me. There is an empowerment to love like Christ. To love like Christ. You know, the Bible says that in that day, he will tell some to depart from him. He said, because I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was destitute and you gave me no shelter. And they will say, when were you hungry and we gave you no food? You see, this is the problem with the church. If it is Jesus, we will do it to him. So they're asking, ah, have we ever seen you and won't give you hunger, food when you're hungry? That's not possible. And he said, well, it happened. He said, as long as you do this to the least of the saints, you have done it to me. So you have to have that identification, not for yourself alone, but for others. That you begin to reckon that what you do to them, you do to Christ. Let there be a generosity, not just vertically, but horizontally, to the people around you. So that Christ will be seen in our midst. That grace is released. And Father, we thank you for it. For your namesake. That the people your heart pants for, we will pant also and love like you. And we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809 996 7,000 Blessings